next, because before we get to this sermon, I want to talk to you about something that's coming up in two weeks. So uh, September 16th, maybe? Uh, is it the third week of September? I'm going to begin a six-week sermon series. It's not going to be like anything I've ever done before. I'm going to venture to say it's going to be like nothing you've ever experienced before. It's something I've been talking about in my spirit uh, now for several months, and Kristen and I have got together and brainstormed and figured out uh, some, some different uh, avenues to pull it off. So it's going to be a six-week series. There is going to be a break in the middle of it because uh, we're going to have a celebration service for our 21-year anniversary uh, in the middle of that. Yeah, amen. God's been good. So there will be a break. There'll be a three-week and then, and then a break and then three more weeks. But the sermon series is called Ghost Stories. And I, Kristen has done a phenomenal job of putting together an advertisement and a sermon bumper. We, wanna, we wanted to bring that to you this morning. So, I'm sorry, what? Oh, she, I thought she was saying something that was needed to be interjected. She's just saying it's awesome, yes. Uh, uh, so I, I want to bring it up because I want you to get excited about it, number one, but I also want you to be praying about it because I'm going to, for the first time, we're going to have the, uh, we're going to have a team of intercessors praying every Sunday morning before church uh, begins uh, downstairs because when God laid this on my heart, I had, it, I had the impression that this was going to be some of the most important services that some people are going to be a part of that they've ever experienced in their life. There's real hurt, there's real pain, there's real things that people are dealing with, and they have no idea what they're dealing with and why. And they carry it, and they operate under it, and they don't realize what it is or how to deal with it. And we're going to be getting deep into uh, areas that are going to be, frankly, uncomfortable in a lot of ways, but God is just going to, in His mercy and grace, uh, He's going to bring a, an expansion of faith to a lot of people, and there's going to be a lot of things put back together during this series. And I'm not because of who I am or not because of who you are, but because of who He is and how much He loves us. And so I, I want you to... Uh, I want you to experience what uh, our brilliant tech person has put together. Her name's Kristen. She's in the back. Say hi, Kristen. She loves attention. All right. So that's in two weeks. A lot of uh, prayer going to be going on before then and until then and through then. And we're believing for God to do great things. Amen. That's our fall sermon series. And uh, we're, we're excited about it. So. This morning, I want to preach a message, and I, I'm just going to go ahead and I'm just going to put something out there because some of you are probably not used to me, uh, and and most of you won't be used to the me that you're going to get this morning because I'm going to for the first time on Sunday morning, and I did not clear this uh, with my wife before I got up here because I knew she'd say no, so it's easier to ask for forgiveness than it is permission. Um, so she's going to find out when the rest of y'all find out. I, I'm not going to pay attention to the clock this morning. Because I know I have a long one. So I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, I know I, have, I know I have a long one. I've looked over it for the last 24 hours trying to shorten it. And I ended up taking two sentences out. Because everything that I feel like was put in there is needed. And it's needed. And if, and if you don't need this this morning, I need this. Because uh, there's things going on in my existence, in my family, in my life right now. Um, and I, I even told my wife uh, two days ago, I said, I don't want to preach this sermon because I, I, don't, I don't feel victory. How can I preach victory? And then I realized immediately in my spirit, that's exactly when I need to preach victory is when I don't feel victory. 
So this morning, uh, we're going to talk about stick to the plan. Stick to the plan. And when I first began working on this sermon, I was thinking about this building that you're sitting in. And when we began the process of renovation on this building, I was, uh, I was tasked with the duty of finding a lot of problems that we did not know we inherited when we got the building. But a 90-year-old building has a lot of things that are wrong, is wrong with it. And it's not always something that is as simple as slapping paint over it. For one thing, we had a leak in the basement. We had several leaks in the basement. And we found one that was because of uh, clogged drains. We had to reroute drains and take them to the outside of the building because water was literally coming up through the concrete floor in the basement. And then another thing that we had going on was the walls were leaking. And 90 years ago, they didn't put in something called French drains. So we had to dig down below the foundation of the building and put French drains in. And we had to... Uh, put mastic on the building so we could waterproof it so that water would stop. It's good when, when you get rain on the grass, but it's bad when that same rain comes inside the, the living place. So we had to fix that so that we don't have black mold growing and things of that nature. So, so we, had to, we had to secure the building by digging down to the foundation. And when we talk about building, we often talk about the foundation. Here's what we talk about. If the foundation isn't good, then it doesn't matter how pretty the building is. It doesn't matter how ornate the decorations are. If the foundation is cracked, it's not structurally sound. And if it's not built on a good foundation, your house will eventually fall down. But one thing that doesn't get talked about nearly as much as the foundation is something that has to come before the foundation. See, this building that you're sitting in has a large foundation, but it didn't begin with the foundation. It actually began with something called plans. Because before you can begin to dig, you've got to know where to dig. You've got to know how wide to dig the footers. You've got to know how deep to put the foundation you don't just start by digging you don't just start putting a structure up before this building was a reality it was a thought that thought became a plan and the plan became implemented and a reality because people acted on the plan what I want to talk to you this morning about is plans for your existence. You're sitting here this morning and you think you've made a lot of choices to get you to this point. And you have made a lot of decisions that has altered the course of your reality. But the truth of the matter is if we believe this book, there was a plan in place before you ever had a sentiment thought. You don't believe me. Let me, let, me, let me help you. The Bible says in Jeremiah 29 and 11. Now, this is a verse that we find on coffee mugs and bumper stickers and T-shirts and on the top of graduation caps. And the Bible says this, For I know the what? The what? I know the plans I have for you. Says who? Oh, it's not you. It wasn't you. It wasn't your boo. It was the Lord. It was the Lord who had a plan. Does that mean that you didn't get to choose your major? No. Does that mean that you weren't the one that 
picked out the one that you married? Lucky you. Oh, no, no. Oh, no. Make no mistake. That was your choice. But that does not negate the fact that the Lord had a plan. The Lord, he said, they are plans for good and not for your marriage. Oh, wait a minute. No, it doesn't say it, it says for disaster. Some of y'all, that's the same word. <laughs> Some of y'all, the root word of marriage was disaster. But you didn't know that until you came to my Hebrew word study this morning. So here you go. That was all free. And the reason he gave you plans was for this. To give you a future. And I want to, I want, I want to stress this next part. And a hope. He wants to give you a future. But man, some of us have a hard time getting there if we lose hope in the process. Some of us have a hard time sticking to the plan because he shows us the picture. He he gives us the promise. He says, look, I have this and it's for you. And you see it and you snatch it and you grab it and you start writing Jeremiah 29, 11 on all your stuff. And you've got it on the mirror in the morning when you're doing your hair and you've, you've got it on your refrigerator and, and, and you've got it on your bumper sticker and, and you believe it. But man, if you lose hope before you end up in the reality, all you're left with is a stack of papers that has the plans, but the foundation never gets laid. And without a firm foundation and somebody implementing what they saw. That's why Jesus, or that's why the Lord told the the prophet Habakkuk, write the vision plain. So that they who read it will run after it. Make the vision plain. Write it down and make it plain. Because it does no good if you just write down, throw out visions and throw out catchphrases and come up with mottos and themes or even snatch scriptures and claim them for your own. It does no good if you don't run after what you believe the Lord has for you. Somebody give his word a clap of praise. Now listen, I want you to understand what's going on in this verse because it's not as pretty as you might have dreamed when you saw all those graduates have it on top of their caps. Jeremiah is speaking to Israel as they are being forced into exile. They are being kidnapped out of their home country and taken to Babylon. And here's his goal in telling them that he has a plan for them. Because they had been listening to false prophets who were telling them that this this exile, this season of slavery, this season of captivity was going to be very short. Jeremiah comes along and says, Oh no. No, God heard your cries. He cares that you are in pain. But he needs you to know this is going to last a long time. You're, You're not... On an overnight excursion. Seventy years are going to pass. And here's what God is telling you. He's not going to bring you out of misery. To bless you. 
He's going to bless you right in the middle of the thing that you are asking him to get you out of. This verse was his message to his people that he does not give you immediate deliverance. But rather, he has a plan. Somebody say plan. He has a plan that in the middle of hardship, in the middle of going to the funeral home, in the middle of going to the cancer ward, in the middle of going to bankruptcy court, in the middle of going to divorce court, in the middle of your midnight hour, he still has a plan. Because there are some folks that have got in their spirit that if they're going through trouble, it must mean it wasn't God's plan. But God wants you to know that right where you are, in the middle of your deepest darkest season God still has a plan to bring you to a place of prosperity and there's two things I learned from this scripture that most of you have not caught one is this your plan don't often look like his plan their plan was for them to go into captivity for a short while but God had a different plan He said, I'm going to bless you, but I'm going to bless you in what you're trying to get out of. How many times have we missed what God was doing in our life? Because it wasn't what we wanted. It was his plan, but it wasn't what he wanted. And it wasn't what we wanted, so we missed his plan. uh, Listen, is there anybody in this room that is brave enough to say, whatever your will is, God, that's what I want for me. That I, I, don't, I don't need my desires accomplished if I know that what I have is what you want for me. Is there anybody brave enough to say that even though it's uncomfortable and even though I suffer loss and even though I go through stuff that I wish I didn't have to go through, if this is the plan, then I'm going to stick to the plan and I'm going to be what God... See, God already told Jeremiah that his plans for us are older than we are. Jeremiah 1 and 5. I knew you before I formed you. Before I formed you in your mother's womb, before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you to be my prophet for the nations. God had a plan for you before you were you. That ought to resonate in somebody's spirit this morning. As a matter of fact, it ought to cast aside a bunch of doubts that you've had about how you're an accident. Because I promise you, my firstborn child, we didn't plan her, but you better not let me catch you calling her an accident. Because I know the plans God has for her. I've seen it in my prayer time. I've seen it in my visions. There's no accident when it comes to God because before we were ever formed, no mom and dad may not have planned for you to be here, but make no mistake about it, your heavenly father knew exactly what he was doing. Mm. So if you go over to the New Testament, I'm going to spend some time this morning in 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. And uh, uh, I'm going to forewarn you that if you have been on a word fast, you're going to overeat this morning. Because I have got a lot of word to share with you today. First Peter chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. Therefore, in other words, everything that I've said up to this point, 
Here's the hinge. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Basically, he's saying delete your Facebook. I'll give you about 30 seconds to just start deleting some stuff before I move on with this. <laughs> he's basically saying get rid of your Instagram. Listen, listen to what he says. He said, rid yourselves. Like, some of you just need to go through some apps and rid yourselves. Because here's what the Lord was saying. He's saying, you need to get rid of some stuff. How many of you do any spring cleaning? Okay, so when you clean, do you just clean? Or are you one of these people like me and my wife, when we do spring cleaning, we get rid of stuff? Uh, so, 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 some of y'all, you know what I'm talking about. So, so Now, some of you don't ever get rid of nothing. Like, you still got that size 2 dress hanging in the back of the closet because one day I'm going to get. <sighs> Newsflash, no, you're not. <laughs> Goodwill could have sold it a long time ago, and you'd felt better about yourself. But that's another sermon for another time. So, so what God is saying here is this. Before you can get something new from me, I'm going to need you to get rid of some stuff and make room. I'm going to need you to make room in your life by getting rid of malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander of every kind. He said, if you'll get rid of that stuff and make some room. See, my closet's only so big. So when it gets full, if I'm going to put some new stuff in it, i got to take some stuff out of it, and i got to donate it to the clothes closet downstairs. i, I got to get rid of some stuff because I, I can't keep just adding to because you run out of room. And you have a capacity in your spirit. You don't know this, but your emotional level and your spiritual level can only hold so much. And if you're going to get more from heaven, you're going to have to make room and get rid of some stuff. And that's what Peter's telling us here. He said, therefore, rid yourself. Let me break it down to you like this. How can I receive the love of God if my heart is full of malice? Oh, you're quiet on me. How can I receive the truth if my heart is full of deceit? How can I receive the revelation that uh, who I really am and that God has a plan for me if I'm revealing how much hypocrisy is inside of me? See, hypocrisy is not struggling with something. Hypocrisy is when you act like you don't. See, see, most of us have to make room for what we really want. I'm going to calm down because I'm scaring some of y'all already. You have to decide, Christian, what you really want because you don't have room for everything. So you got to do some spring cleaning in your soul. You've got to do some spiritual housekeeping. And you got to get rid of some stuff so you can gain some stuff. Because whatever you hold on to is what's important to you. That's what Peter's telling us here. Most of us have to make some decisions about what we really want. The first step in getting more. Is there anybody in the room? Because we sing songs about it all the time. We come up to the altar and cry about it. Is there anybody in the, in the, in the room that says, God, I need more of you? Is there anybody in here that wants more of God? So, so in order for you to get more of God, you're going to have to get rid of some stuff you already picked up. Okay? None of the things that Peter talks about 
are direct behaviors. They're attitudes. Malice is not a direct behavior. It leads to direct behavior. Deceit is not a direct behavior. It leads to direct behaviors. So you have a whole list of stuff here that I just gave you in one verse to do. Can I help you? Some of you wake up in the morning and say, Lord, give me a word. Show me what you want. He just did. Hello? He just did. You got plenty to do. You can leave this service right now, go home, and work all week on getting rid of malice and deceit and slander and hypocrisy and envy. Come on now. Well, I don't ever know what the Lord wants me to do. First Peter 2 and 1 just told you. You go home, work on that the rest of the week, then come back and ask me about Daniel's 70 weeks. Because a lot of Christians that I have met in my 25 years of preaching this gospel, they want to wade into the deep parts of theology, into the deep end of the spiritual pool, but they haven't mastered the kiddie level theology yet. So we want to study about the end times, and we want to know how it lines up prophetically with all these things, and we have not yet mastered getting rid of hypocrisy. Getting rid of envy. Getting rid of deceit. So that's verse 1. we got several more. Get rid to get ready. It's like clearing out a space so God can give you something better. Like newborn babies, Peter said. Like newborn babies crave spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good, as you come to Him... Say those three words, the living stone. You come to him, he's Jesus. He is the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also. I've never preached this this way. In 25 years of preaching this gospel and, and several times preaching through this this scripture, I've never preached it the way I'm going to preach it this morning. You also, like living stones, are being built. There is a plan. You are being built into a spiritual house. Why? To be a holy priesthood. Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall, they stumble because they, they disobey the message which is also what they were destined for. But you, say that's me, there was a plan, there was a blueprint. God said, I have a plan for you and here's the plan. But you also, you included, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation God's special possession. I want you to focus on that verse and also verse 5 where it says you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood so you can make spiritual 
sacrifices. Look how Peter said it. He said, the same way you come to Jesus, who is the living stone, who was rejected by humans, he says, you also are being built into a spiritual house because you also are a living stone. He says it so nonchalantly that you read over it and you go, amen, and you keep reading. But listen to what he said. He says it like it's just all one thing that happens all at one moment. Uh, oh, I have decided to follow Jesus, and he said it, and I believe it, amen. How many of you know it takes a long time to become what God wants you to be? Have you figured that out yet? That even though I know that God had a plan for me, even though I know he's got something that he wants me to do, I'm not there yet. And maybe you are, and maybe you should just pray for the bishop because I got problems. I got, listen, I got some issues for your tissues. If you, if you really want to break it down, I can tell you some stuff and make your hair curl. If you think by looking at the pulpit that you are seeing the object of perfection as it pertains to spiritual Christianity, ha! Because I promise you, I'm not there yet. Sometimes the only thing that keeps me having hope that I'm heading the right direction is to know he has a plan. And he had the plan. What Jeremiah is saying, Jeremiah 1.5, he had the plan before I was formed. You missed it. I, I did all that preaching just for that one. You missed it. Let me, let me break it down for you. He had the plan a long time before I came along to mess it up. Because I've done everything that could be done wrong, I've done it. Everything that could have sidetracked it, derailed it, got it off the tracks, anything that could have messed up the plan, I have participated. I've been a willing participant. The devil did not drag me behind this truck. I jumped in and said, you want me to drive? <laughs> Are you hearing me? Some of these people walk around so holy like, well, the devil made me do it. The devil didn't make me do a whole lot of stuff. He didn't kidnap me, throw me in the trunk of the car. No, no, no. I got up to the car and said, you want me to drive? The devil didn't make me do a whole lot of stuff. I was a willing participant in messing up God's plan. But the hope I have and what keeps me keeping going is the fact that I know before I had a chance to mess it up, God drew the plans. And because God was planning for what he wanted, I was a thought before I was a seed. I, I was a thought before I was a twinkle in my daddy's eye. I, I was a thought before I was an idea. In my parents' existence, I was a thought in heaven's existence. And if heaven was able to draw a blueprint of me before I became me, don't you think that they factored in how many mess-ups, how many flaws, 
how many mistakes was going to be made. Don't you think if heaven was powerful enough to know Albert before mom and dad knew Albert, don't you think that if heaven had a plan for a 48-year-old me to be standing in front of this congregation on this day, and by the way, if you're wondering if I'm sold out to the idea of the sovereignty of God without exclusion, I believe God has ordered my steps. I believe He has made me in His image and likeness. I believe everything I am is because of This is what he wants me to be. I'm totally convinced in this sovereignty. And if he knew I would be standing here today bringing you a message of hope about a plan for your life, don't you think he knew that between there and here and here and there that I was going to make some mistakes? I was going to dig in the wrong place. Oh, this is important for some of y'all because some of y'all know that the mess you got is because you've been digging in the wrong spots. See, see, (laughs) these plans don't just tell you how big to make the foundation. They tell you where it belongs. And some of y'all know y'all have been digging for contentment and happiness in all the wrong places. And you wonder why you are trying to build a spiritual house on top of a garbage dump. And you... And you wonder why you're having so much difficulty getting the results that you know God wants for you. But it is hard to build a new foundation on top of a messed up, from the foundation up, mess that you made. That's why you got to believe He has a plan and begin to lean into what He wants. Even at the expense of leaving behind what you want. Some of you aren't convinced yet. Take a look at how God built a nation. He called a man named Abraham and told him he was going to be the father of his people. And he said, you're going to have so many children, it's going to be like the stars in the sky and the sand on the beach. And Abraham had zero kids and his wife was barren. If you're going to start a nation, that's a terrible plan. You're going to go to a a woman with a dried up womb and say, here it is. This is how I'm going to build a nation. Can I tell you that God builds people differently than everybody else does? And if you don't like the Old Testament, let's just go over and look at what Jesus did. Jesus decides he's going to choose his disciples. When God sends Jesus to earth on the biggest mission that has ever been accomplished, which is the salvation of all mankind and the redemption of their sins, he sends Jesus from heaven to earth, and Jesus comes down. He did not come with an accompaniment of angels. He did not come with a bunch of Old Testament saints that had been tried and true. He didn't have Elijah and Moses and Noah and all the ones that had already been through the fire and came out redeemed. He didn't have none of that. He came alone. And he got to pick his own squad. And he picks people like Peter. We're reading the book of 1 Peter. Peter. He's going to start a worldwide spiritual organization. And he starts with a dude named Peter who's on a fishing boat. He ain't in rabbi school. He smells like tuna fish. Cusses out little girls while Jesus is going to the cross. Peter's got issues. Peter's jacked up. And don't you know that none of it 
ever took Jesus by. That means when he called Peter off the boat, he knew how flawed Peter was. And he called him. And he. See, this ought to tell you that, that God doesn't build things according to the plan that the world uses. In other words, here's what God knows. Whoa, God in heaven. Here's what God knows about building a... What did Peter say? He said, you are living stones and you're building a spiritual house. If everybody's wondering, because a lot of y'all don't know me, why I stare at her. Because she's always sat on the front pew, always sat in this spot. And I've always stared at her when I preach. (laughs) She's been with us since the beginning and she's always sat in the same place. And if you ever wonder if I'm just like beating her up, I am. But she's okay with it. (laughs) And so I've always just... Look at the Innsmingers and just kind of gave it to them. That way you get off the hook. <laughs> Somebody asked me one time, boy, you sure don't like that woman on the front row. I said, that's another sermon for another time. But for this, <laughs> here's, what, here's what you need to know about God building a spiritual house. Is that what Peter said? He said, you are living stones and he's building on those stones a spiritual house. If you're going to start building a house this building didn't start with plaster or electrical panels or plumbing or hardwood floors this building began by moving some dirt and if God's going to use you and the plan he has for you to build a spiritual house he already knows he's going to have to move some dirt out of oh. <laughs> Boy, I just, if you wait on me to preach, I am already there. See, see, and, 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 and I've never preached this passage like this. Look, look with me. Peter doesn't just say Jesus is holy. He said the same Jesus who is holy is making Glenette holy. Did, did you see what he said? He said the same Jesus who is holy is making Michelle holy. And then he said this. He said Jesus is a stone and so are you missed it you missed it he said Jesus is the the stone it had a capital S because he's the he's the stone he's the main cornerstone and then it says as are let me put it to you like this Jesus is the stone I'm building on and I am the stone Jesus is building on did you see that did you see what Peter said he said I'm just Jesus is the stone that I build my life on and yet I'm the stone you're the stone that Jesus builds his king wow so you like Peter who better to hear this from than Peter if anybody, if anybody in the Bible I can relate to, it's Peter. Oh, big mouth, Peter. Oh, oh, open up mouth and insert foot, Peter. Cussing out little girls by the fire while Jesus is being arrested, saying, I never knew the man. 
right after he had stood up to Jesus' face and bragged about, even if they take you to prison, I won't leave you. And he didn't make it to the morning before he denied Jesus three times. And yet, look at your neighbor and say, there was a plan. Oh, oh yeah, there was. There was a plan. You know how I know there was a plan? Because Jesus looked at Peter and said, do you love me? Of course I love you. Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, I, I love you. Feed my sheep. There was, there, was, there was a plan. How do I know there was a plan? Because, because Jesus said, who do these people think I am? What's the plan that they're sticking to? These Hebrews, these Sadducees, these Pharisees, these religious muckety-mucks, they got a blueprint of what they think the Messiah is supposed to look like. Who, who do they say that I am? Well, some of them say you're Elijah who's came back from the dead, or Jeremiah, one of the other prophets, or some of them thinks that you're John the Baptist who came back from the dead because their blueprint says that's what a Messiah is supposed to look like. Jesus said, oh yeah? Hey guys, you've been with me a minute. Who do you say that I am? What's your, what's your idea? What's your blueprint? And not a one of them said anything except Peter. Peter says, you are the Christ. The son of the living God. And Jesus said, because when Jesus looks at you, he don't see, oh God, he don't see the adultery. He don't see the lies. He, he don't see the rebellion. He don't see the problems. He don't see all the misfit actions that you took. What Jesus sees when he looks at you is he sees the plan. That before you were ever born, there was a plan. <laughs> there was a plan. Before you could ever mess it up, there was a plan. Before you could ever put a shovel in the ground and dig in the wrong bedroom, there was a plan. And when Jesus looks at you, he sees the plan. He said, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which art in heaven and upon this rock. Oh, you're going to make some mistakes, but on this rock you're gonna mess up some but on this rock you're not gonna get it all right but on this rock I will build my church because that was the plan that was the plan and no matter what Peter did the plans were already printed you're like living stones that Jesus is building a kingdom on. But pastor, you don't know what I've done. Doesn't change the plan. They don't go back and redraft the blueprints because they run into problems. They stick to the plan. God in heaven. If they have to move some sediment, they move it. If they have to go over budget, they do it. They don't scrap the whole thing and start over. They stick to the plan. 
If they run into problems, they stick to the plan. If they run into difficulties, they stick to the plan. If they fail at some stuff, mess some stuff up, hang a door in the wrong direction, they tear it down and they fix it right because the plan said it was supposed to be somewhere else. Oh, family, you need to stick to the plan. You've made some mistakes, but God has a plan for you. And the Bible says that God builds on stuff that don't make sense, like barren wombs and depressed prophets, fishermen that have anger issues, kings who have lust problems. Y'all not going to help me. He builds kingdoms on virgin unwed teenagers people who have no business being built on he says I'll build on that because that's my plan he said I'm not going to build my kingdom on perfect people I'm going to build my kingdom on people that have no business being built Upon because they're the ones that know it wasn't them that did it. Uh huh. Peter said, Get rid. Say it with me. Get rid. You know what that means? That means all that stuff you've been trying to hide from God, He knows you got it. And he chose to build on you. He knew he's going to have to move some dirt to build a foundation, to lay the stone that he'll build his kingdom on. And he chose you anyway. Get rid of means that when he got you, you had it. And he's saying, get rid of it. It wasn't a surprise to him that you had it. And yet he selected you anyway. Because he don't build on perfect people. No, no, no. He builds on jacked up people just like you. Uh, Look at your neighbor and say, that includes you too. Yeah, don't laugh at me. That includes you too. So so, so, So the next question you have to answer, according to that scripture, is where'd you get your blueprint from in the first place? God said, I have... I have a plan. But can I, can I warn you? God ain't the only one got plans for you. The Bible says that the enemy is like a roaring lion seeking whom he... Walking about seeking... God ain't the only one with a plan for you. So where did you get the plan that you're building your life on because God has a plan but so does some other folk and if you use the wrong plan you'll build in the wrong place you'll start digging in the wrong spot your foundation won't be near deep enough it won't be wide enough to handle what God uh, 
See, there's some folks I know that were good friends of mine that could out-preach me 10 times out of 10, had all the gifts. They were 10-talent folk. They could sing, they could play, they could dance, they could pray for people like nobody's business. But the problem was their foundation wasn't dug deep enough. And when God started building this kingdom on top of them, it toppled because their foundation was wrong. you got to understand whose plan it is that you are following to get the result that God wants let me ask you this you've got a plan for your marriage but what's God's plan where did you get your blueprint because my blueprint that I operated under until I got in this book was flawed I came from divorce I came from abuse I came from neglect I came from anger being the way we settled issues And it was wrong, it was flawed, but that was my blueprint. And when I got married, we got married with the attitude, well, if it don't work, we can always get divorced because that was the model we were building by. Oh, it got quiet in here. My whole amen committee just resigned. Can I tell you that the building you're sitting in right now is here for one purpose? And that's because God had a plan. We're about to celebrate 21 years. Am I right? 21 years. Yeah, 21, 21 years. And you've heard this story a hundred times, and Krista makes fun of me for saying it. But I know where I was standing the moment God said, Son, if you come here, I will build a church. That was God's message to me. And we accepted a church with 13 people and pulled a mobile home 350 miles because I got a word from God who's ha- who said, I have a plan. Had I had a plan... Had I had a plan, I would have rejected this place. I would not, not only would I not be here today, I would have never came. Because my plan was to stay in the south where my family was and pastor a full-time church. Not come up here where there's 13 people and my whole family might starve. That wasn't my plan. He revealed a plan to me. He said, I will build a church. We've had three Church of Gods on this district. Two of them have closed since I came here. This is the one who survived, but this is the one who was promised, I will build. This wasn't my plan. This wasn't my plan. It was his plan. You're not supposed to. I was told you can't build a multicultural church in this area. (laughs) I got some Filipino effect up in the balcony. We got some chocolate brothers and sisters running around here. Don't look like me. We got milk chocolate, dark chocolate, caramel. You're not supposed to do that here. When I went to state council, uh, they asked me to give a speech on how to build a multicultural church in West Virginia. I said it's the shortest speech in the history of speeches about growing churches because I didn't do nothing. You know what I did? I preached the word. You know what I found out? There ain't no white word. There ain't no black word. There ain't no yellow word. There ain't no brown word. There's one word. It bleeds red. And if you... Preach the gospel. People don't care what color the mailman is. Just haul the mail. Stick to the plan. <laughs> Look at Exodus chapter 25. I told you I was going to, I told you I was going to be long today. I told you. I warned you. I'll be turning around a lot, doing a bunch of gyrating. If you've got to slip out, go ahead. 
But you'll miss the good part because at the end of service, we're going to take communion. <laughs> Look at Exodus 25. Moses is building the tabernacle where God's presence would dwell while they're out in the wilderness. And after God gave Moses, man, he was so specific. He told him what color to use, how much purple fabric to use, how many rings were supposed to go on the curtains. I mean, he was OCD. God is really OCD. Did you know that? <laughs> he is so deliberate and precise. And he gives Moses the blueprint, the plans for the tabernacle. He said, this is how you do it. Do it like this. And this is the table. And this is where the showbread goes. And this is how you build the Holy of Holies. And then there's a verse where God's reminding Moses that he showed him all this while they were together up on Mount Sinai. It's Exodus 25 and 40. Here's what, here's what God told Moses. See that you make them according to the pattern I showed you while he's on the mountain. Now, again, I told you it's going to be long because I have so much to explain. God showed him this while he was on the mountain. He spent 40 days on the mountain in the presence of God alone. No outside influence. No Facebook feed. Like he didn't hear from nobody but God. And what God was saying was this, Moses, when you go back down there among them stiff-necked heathens, when you go down amongst all them people that are going to all have voices, when you go around all these people who have opinions about how you should do things, I want you to remember when you were alone with me, I gave you the pattern on how to build your life. While you were here on the mountain, when you were alone with me and no other voices could get through, I told you how to build your life. And when you get down there amongst all that noise, I want you to remember, I showed you my pattern. And God had a pattern. It was so precise. He said... There's 12 tribes. One of the tribes is going to be special. And it's the tribe that is going to help me minister to the people. Separate from me the tribe of Levi. Because they're going to be my priests. I have a pattern for my priests. Do you remember what Peter called you? Living stones. That, that we're building on. And then at the end of that, he said, what? You're a chosen people, a royal. Yeah, he called you that. He said, you're a royal. And God had a pattern for the priest. He had a pattern for his priest. And he says, I want you to remember the pattern. I, I want you to stick to my plan. There's a lot of voices you're going to hear when you get off this mountain. Hear me, it is easy for you to be consecrated to God while you're sitting here on Sunday morning. Because the only voice you're hearing is the one that hopes they're speaking for God. But when you get out there, there's a lot of voices that do not share the same opinion as your holy God does. And so you need to follow the pat <laughs> You need to follow the pattern while you're out there that you was given while you were on the mountain. And he had a pattern for his priest. And if 
They, the Levites were the priests in the Old Testament. Now Peter has called you the priests. Then the pattern he gave to them is the pattern and example he gives to you. Are you with me? So in Exodus 28 and 1, the Bible says, Call for your brother Aaron and his sons Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. Set them apart from the rest of the people of Israel so they may minister to me and be my priests. They may minister to who? This clearly shows that priests are called to minister to God, not to people. That's another sermon for another time. It doesn't mean you don't ever do ministry to people, but the main thing that a priest does, their main focus is to please the Lord first, not to please people. And you don't like to say that if you think you're the priest. But when you think I'm the priest, you're like, oh, yes, pastors should live holy. But Peter just called you living stones. Peter just called you a royal priesthood. And this Bible tells me that you're supposed to be set apart, consecrated, sanctified. And in order to do that, you got to get ordained. And that's a confirmation, which means sanctified, pure, and consecrated. Leviticus chapter 8 is where we find the process. Verse 22. Then Moses presented the other ram, which was the ram of ordination. Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the ram's head, and Moses slaughtered it. Then Moses took some of its blood and applied it to the lobe of Aaron's right ear, the thumb of his right hand, and the big toe of his right foot. Next, Moses presented Aaron's sons and applied some of the blood to the lobes of their right ears, the thumbs of their right hands, and the toes of their right feet. He then splattered the rest of the blood against the sides of the altar. I'm going to show you something here. Aaron and his sons were cleansed by the blood. I'm going to say it again because it's old-fashioned and you ain't used to hearing it in church. But Aaron and the priest were cleansed by the blood. And if you are going to act as priest, you're going to get cleaned the same way. By the blood. This is the blueprint. This is the pattern. This is the plan for your life to get cleaned up by the blood. Yeah, he knew you was messed up. Yes, he knew you, you weren't right. Yes, he knew that you had some mess up in you. But he knows that the blood sanctifies, cleanses, redeems, buys back, and purifies anything it touches. That's the plan. And he says, if you're going to be my priest, this is how it's going to get done. Notice the pattern God uses. The right ear, the right thumb, and the big toe on the right. There's a reason that God requires consecration. Here it is. You ready? This is deep and theological. I have studied theology for 26 years to come up with this conclusion. You ready for this? The reason God requires consecration is because you messed up. You ready? I mean, that's, that's deep. Here's what it is. When you got saved, your spirit loved the Lord, and the rest of you didn't. And you have to be consecrated to bring the rest of you into subjection to what your spirit already does, which is love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy might, with all thy strength. So you have to continually remind your body 
You love Jesus now. You can't be digging in the wrong places no more. It was okay for a season of my life that I was trifling. Y'all not going to help me? It was okay for a season of my life that I was a thief, that I was a robber, that I desecrated God's holy temple. It was okay because he knew it when he called me. But the plan was that I would put all of that up under the blood. And now I have to remind myself I love Jesus now more than I love the flesh. Uh, so let's look, at this, let's look at the consecration. First was the ear. The right ear got the blood. Jesus said in John chapter 10, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. He also said my sheep know my voice and they won't go following every joker that says there's pastor. That means, I already told you, there are other voices. Oh, be careful little ears. What you hear. Uh, the enemy is constantly trying to talk to you. He never shuts up. He is constantly trying to speak to you because he knows that one of the gates to your soul is the ear gate. And he's constantly trying to feed you misinformation. They, talk, they want to talk about misinformation. He is, the lie, he is the father of all lies. He's been misinforming folks since the beginning of time. And so for the past two years, a lot of people have been worried about a virus. I don't know if you heard. But one of the things that people aren't afraid of and should have been the whole time was getting sick on words. Because there's a remedy for this virus, but words act like a virus that bury into your spirit. And they wait for your spiritual immune system to get weak. And these words attach themselves to a weak spirit and make you spiritually sick. See, God wants to anoint your hearing so that you hear him instead of the lies of the enemy. So he wants to anoint your ear because what you hear is going to help you build your plan. When we first got married, I would scream like a banshee. I'm just, I'm just, being, I'm just being honest. woman sitting right here. I thought every argument was won by the one who talked the loudest and the most. That's how I learned to fight. How did, how'd you learn that, Pastor? Well, I'm glad you asked because I did not go to a seminar, although I was learning. Because that's how Rife Mitchum overpowered Gene Mitchum, and he overpowered me, and he overpowered everybody else in the house by screaming and using profanity and being abusive. And he always won because the rest of us lived in terror and fear. And that was my blueprint. Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear, because you're building a model based off of what is provided as an example. And we first got married, that was the example I carried into the marriage. I didn't go to a premarital counselor and get that. It was indoctrinated into me every day I lived and breathed. And I thought I would win battles by causing and inflicting terror on people in my house and I didn't realize how much harm had been done to myself and how much harm I was inflicted on other people until it was almost too late and I had to read 
another blueprint. I had to read a different blueprint to realize how broken the model I had was the whole time. And once I read a different blueprint, I realized I had to change the way I was implementing because there was a plan that I didn't know anything about. So he anointed the ear and then he anointed the foot because wherever your ear tells you to go, your foot is going to go in that trajectory. And a lot of us say, God, I want to take the right path, but you can't take the right path unless you ask God to anoint your steps. And some of you are taking yourself into places where you got no business being, and then you're wondering why God isn't there. God don't show up in that kind of a mess, except if he shows up to drag you out of that hog pen to take you back to the Father's house. So we say we want to walk in blessing, but you're going to have a hard time walking in blessing when you're the one choosing your path. That's why you're supposed to walk with anointed steps. The word of the Lord is a lamp under my feet and a light under my path. And last but not least, the thumb on the right hand. It was touched with the blood. The right hand in Scripture is used symbolically as power and authority. Power and authority. Look at your neighbor and say, this is powerful. Uh-huh. Yeah, show them your fist. Go ahead, ball it up. This is powerful. See my fingers, see my thumb, see my fist, you better run. Yeah, that's what the Bible, the Bible always talks about the right hand of authority. It's power and it's authority. And the thumb, believe it or not, is your most important finger. And if you don't believe that, get it in a cast sometime and find out how hard it is to do simple stuff like hold a fork or open a doorknob. Because I've been there. You'll find out how important your, all your other fingers become ineffective and weak because of the absence of the thumb. So when God anointed the right thumb, here's what he was saying. I want to anoint the important things of your life that you have overlooked. We keep asking God for mega blessings, and God says, what have you done with the marriage I gave you? We keep asking God for financial breakthrough. He says, what do you do with that paycheck you earn? We keep asking God to do signs and wonders and miracles, and he said, when's the last time you actually got down on your face and prayed? He says, I want to anoint the the important things in your life that you keep overlooking and asking me for something else. When you got his anointing on the important parts of your life, the rest of the parts will do what they're supposed to do. So God is trying to get his anointing, his power, his son's power, his spirit's power flowing through the hands of his people. And you need his anointing in your hands. You need his anointing in your hands. Because every day you come in contact with the unclean and unholy things of the world. Okay. Okay. When you read your Bible, I told you it's a long one. But I'm not rushing this. When you read your Bible, there's a story in Acts chapter 28. Paul has been shipwrecked. And they end up on the island of Malta. It's dark, it's cold, and they are homeless. And the Bible says 
that Paul and the other prisoners made it to this island where there were barbarians, natives. They helped them build a fire. The Bible says Paul went and gathered sticks and threw it on the fire because the fire was weak and it needed some kindling. And as Paul was putting a log of wood on the fire, a viper came out of that wood, came out of that fire, and attached to Paul's hand. And as it hung there, Paul was assumed by the natives that he would die. There's a storm. It is dark. Paul is shipwrecked. They lost everything. They are wet. They're trying to build a fire. And now Paul has gotten snake bit. But if you go back and read Acts 27, you'll find out it was all in the plan. It don't make no sense, God, that your plan has me shipwrecked and wet and cold and snake bit. But God said, you're going to lose everything. He sent an angel to tell Paul, tell all the people on the ship, the ship's going down. You're going to lose all the cargo. You're going to lose the ship. But all of you will survive. No lives will be lost. And when they're on that beach, only Paul realizes it was all in the plan. My God in heaven, could it be that the storms that you have been facing wasn't the devil's doing after all? Could it be that the problems you have endured might not have been your ex's problems after all? Y'all not going to help me. Could it be that the difficulties that you have been enduring, the tears you have cried yourself to sleep at night with, wasn't the devil coming against you, but it was all in the plan? And it don't make sense because you think only God brings sunshine and rainbows. But God's Word says, into every life a little rain must fall. And it's in the plan. And Paul is standing in front of these people with a snake hanging from his hand. It's cold and it's rainy. They needed a fire. It's cold and it's rainy and they needed a fire. Do you know how cold the world is? It is a dark, miserable place. And they need a fire. But we've got so many churches in the world today that won't let the Holy Ghost fire burn because nobody's willing to feed the flames. So when people come to church, the best they can do is hand out hand warmers because they left the fire burned down a long time ago. 
Because somewhere along the line, we forgot that a fire has to be fed in order for it to keep its flames burning. And there's a lot of folks that come to church on Sunday mornings and pastors just pass out hand warmers and say, there you go. And when I go hunting, I take those with me and I put them in my boots and I put them in my back pockets and I put them in my armpits and I put them in my toboggan and I put them everywhere trying to get a little bit of heat. What I really need is a fire. The fire would scare the deer. So the best I can do is stick them things everywhere. And they're okay for a while. They'll do the job for a season. But eventually that fire, that Heat is going to die down, and if there's nothing coming behind it, you will grow cold. So Paul began to put sticks on the fire because he realized if he doesn't get involved in the process, the fire's going to go out. Look at your neighbor and say, it's time to get some sticks. Yeah, yeah, look at your other neighbor and say, that means you too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's time to gather some sticks. See, some of you have been wondering why your life is so cold, why your spirit is so cold, why there's so much rain and darkness in your life. You have to build a fire. And can I tell you that this fire is too big and too consuming for me to do it by myself? I can't keep the fires of Pentecost and the Holy Ghost burning all by myself. It takes all. That's why he called all of you to be priests. But here's the problem. The Bible says Paul gathered sticks and when as he was putting it into the fire, a serpent came out of the fire. The heat did not create the snake. The heat revealed the snake. That's why you don't marry nobody that you haven't seen put through the fire yet because the Bible says that the flames reveal what is inside of us. Yeah, 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 yeah. The Bible says that the, when the fire got hot, the snake came out. You don't know where the snakes are or who the snakes are until the heat gets turned up. Ah. And while it's hanging on his hand, can I tell you something about snakes? There's not a lot of them that you have to be afraid of. Some of y'all are afraid of all of them. Some of y'all call me. I won't say nothing, but I feel an anointing over in this area. Call me to come get out of my out of my uh pajamas to come to their house because there's a black snake oh hi Glenn y'all think the only good snake is a dead snake y'all scared of all of them but there's only a few of them you gotta be afraid of and the ones you have to be afraid of are the ones with fangs and this snake was latched onto Paul's hand that means it had fangs you know what all fanged snakes have venom which means while that snake was hanging on Paul, it was releasing venom, poison. Which explains why some folks sit in church for year after year after year and hear the gospel message and the good news, but they are still bitter about what happened 25 years ago because they have been poisoned. While they're in the house of God, 
the heat isn't getting raised up enough to where they realize there's a serpent hanging from me releasing toxins I don't have time to preach that that was free that's why some of God's people love the Lord but they don't realize how poison they are once once we were safe on the shore we learned that they were on the island people of the island that were very kind to us it was cold and it was rainy it was cold and it was rainy it was cold and it was rainy it was cold it was cold and it was rainy so they built a fire on the shore to welcome us and as Paul gathered an arm full of sticks and was laying them on the fire a poisonous snake driven out by the heat God a poisonous snake driven out by the heat bit him on the hand the people of the island saw it hanging from his hand and said to each other, he's a murderer. Though he escaped the sea, justice will not permit him to leave. They expected him to die because of the poison from the snake that hung from his hand. And there are people watching your life and they're shocked you haven't died yet. There are people watching you and know what you have been through and they are shocked that you have held on this long because they thought by now the devil would have killed you. They thought by now you'd have been bankrupt. They'd have thought by now that marriage would have been over. They'd have thought by now that you would have given up on this prayer stuff and coming to church. What good does it do anyway? They see your life and they think it's a train wreck and they can't imagine how you are still holding on. But the Bible says in verse 5 that Paul shook that snake off into the fire and the heat consumed it. The Bible says Paul shook it off. He shook it off. He shook it off and was unharmed. He shook it off and he was unharmed. He shook it off. Some of y'all need to shake off that bad divorce. Some of y'all need to shake off that bankruptcy. Some of y'all need to shake off those bad decisions. Some of y'all need to shake off what you've been going through. The hell you have endured. Shake it off into the fire and be unharmed. He shook it off and was unharmed. Yeah. Devil, I've been attacked. But I am not harmed. I have been wet and cold and the nights have been dark and lonely, but I am not harmed. And you thought I would have been depressed by now and suicidal by now? And you have put so much venom and poison into my life. You'd have thought I'd have quit by now. But I'm here to decree and declare that I am unharmed. The same God that had a plan for my life knew I was going to face this serpent and knew I was going to have this poison and he put the antidote in me because I have been touched by the blood and the blood of Jesus is stronger than that snake's venom and that's why I need to put everything I have up under that blood so that when that snake bites me it will not affect me I will be unharmed because I have the antidote I have the antidote. The thing that's been hanging in your life, shake it off. That, that miserable relationship, you shake it off. Shake it off. 
that, that, that sickness that has been dwelling in your body and causing you to, to about lose your mind. Shake, shake all them, all those family problems you've been dealing with and nobody wants to hear about it anymore because you just shake it off. Some of y'all just come to church today for no other reason than to shake some mess off into the fire. You didn't know it when you got here, but that was the appointment God had for you because he planned for you to be here so that you could hear this message to just shake, shake it off. Shake it off. Hey, that heaviness of all the bad, shameful mistakes that you made, just sh- shake them off into the fire. All that stuff you've been guilty of and you've been trying to hide and hope nobody at church finds out about it right now, just take a minute and just, just shake it off. Matter of fact, some of y'all got some much to shake off. Y'all look at a neighbor and say, give me some room. I'm about to shake some stuff off. You don't want to catch it. Yeah. Shake it off. I haven't been perfect, but God, I'm, sh- I'm shaking off. My family is not right, and I've got some issues that I wish I didn't have to deal with, but I'm sh- I'm, I came here this morning, and this fire is so hot, I just need to shake this. I just need to shake this stuff off and be unharmed. The devil thought you'd be dead by now, but look at you standing there. Look at you sitting there. You are un harmed by the devil's devices yes you went through painful seasons yes you went through hurt yes you went through some stuff but you are not dead you are still alive because God's plan from the beginning was for you to endure what you have been through Holy Spirit I'm asking you to mend hearts right now I'm asking you to help soothe troubled minds right now Holy Spirit I'm asking you to heal marriages right now you don't have to die with that thing hanging on your hand shake it off Holy Spirit I'm asking you right now for your healing virtue to touch minds and deliver people that are called in bondage In the name of Jesus. 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 I don't have time to go through the scriptures, but you keep reading. You keep reading verses 8 and 9. It says Paul was summoned to somebody's house who was sick and about to die and the Bible says Paul laid his hands on them and they recovered and not only did they recover but the whole town got healed I know I preached a long time but you got to help me you got to stay with me just five more minutes because this is going to be the most valuable thing you hear all day you ready Paul laid his hand on someone and God brought a miracle through his hand the same hand that the serpent hung off of because the devil always attacks what God is about to use (laughs) and the whole island was healed because Paul would not accept 
defeat and death. He shook it off into the fire and the whole island got healed. Shake that mess off your life. The only reason the devil is attacking you is because God is about to do a miracle in your life. Shake that mess off. Shake it off. The same hand that the things of the enemy hung off of, God brought a miracle. Ushers, shit up, oh shit. You realize when you take communion, there's two, two elements. The bread, which is the body that was broken. Somebody help me. And and the blood. And the blood. It's his body that was broken and his blood that was shed. God's getting ready to consecrate some priests in here. God's getting ready to consecrate some priests in here. Except you're not going to put it on your earlobe and your big toe and your thumb because Jesus said as often as you do this do it in remembrance of me remember me remember what I called you to be remember whose I said you were remember what I said you were capable of Remember I told you my Father in Heaven had a plan for your life. Remember, every time you do this, you remember you're not an accident. This is on purpose. And if there's a snake hanging off your life, the blood of Jesus is the antidote. So when we do this, we do it because we are reminded of what Jesus did and what He called us to be. Oh... It's the blood that gives me strength from day to day, and it will never lose its power. Before we take this communion meal together, I'm asking the Holy Spirit through it to give some of you a brand new blueprint, a new plan for your life. Some of you are trying to build a spiritual life over top of a messed up foundation. You're wondering why everything is working out wrong. It's because you need to go back to His plan. There's a lot of plans to follow. Only His is going to lead you to righteousness. So if you want to go ahead and open up your meal, we will partake of the the bread of life first we'll do it together this is his he said take this it's it's my body that was broken for you this brings healing this brings wholeness this brings unity with him that's what this is it's it's a symbolic implementation to remind you that he called you his and he suffered and died 
so you don't have to. This, this was his substitutionary atonement made on your behalf. He took the whipping post so you could be healed. He took the punishment so you don't have to. This is his body broken. This is the blood. It eradicates sin. It makes demons run and hide. This is the power for right living. Your sins met its match when it meets the blood of Christ. All those things that keep you tied up, tangled up, and bound up has to let you loose when you put it under the blood of Jesus. That's why the priest had to put it on their earlobe and their toe and their thumb. It was consecration. That's what we're doing. We're remembering him and his and his call on our life, which is to consecrate us so he can use us to build his kingdom. He's getting ready to consecrate some priests in here. Are you ready? So we're going to do this together. Take and eat. This is my body, which was broken. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for bringing healing. And I'm believing right now that there is healing being transferred into this place. That through your broken body, people are being made whole in their bodies and in their minds. God, that right now, while we partake of this, you have given us everything we need for wholeness. And we appreciate and we love and we adore you for your sacrifice. And when they had eaten, he passed the cup and he said, take and drink. This is my blood, which was shed for you. Jesus, thank you for your blood. Thank you for making me whole in your sight, healed. Thank you for making me a saint when I have lived as a sinner. Thank you, God, for erasing my sins as I repent of my wickedness. You are fast and quick and loving to forgive me of my transgressions. Help me, God, live out the rest of my days following you and what you want for me. I have given my plans to you work your plan in me in Jesus name and the church said preaching has always been very applicable and practical because I never wanted to give an impression that where you are, somebody sitting around you, or maybe even including myself, hasn't been or presently is. We've all felt what you need to shake off. Shame, guilt, mistakes we've all been willfully disobedient and rebellious 
we've all tried to work our own plan or God forbid we followed the plan of the enemy but there's always time to course correct because God didn't throw the plan away when you made your mistakes he still has the original blueprint stick to the plan promise victory I pray this blessing upon you today I pray this word gets in your spirit I pray that through the week through the months to come you're going to resonate on this and the Holy Spirit's going to preach to you even beyond this room because I firmly believe somebody needed this word today in my spirit and it ministered to someone and I pray that you were blessed I pray that as you go you feel strengthened and encouraged and enlightened about God's plan for your life no you haven't messed it up so bad that he threw the plan away aren't you glad aren't you glad that you're not powerful enough to mess up God's plans God bless you promise victory I love you